Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the headmaster's portrait, commenting on the style of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are very much blinkered and fettered by the limitations of our kind. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Doing well. Uh, quite legitimately was, you know, excited for several days, excited to talk about this chapter with y'all. It's a wild one. Uh, Unexpectedly so. Like, change up in the first half, kind of wild. Had me in the first half. Things got serious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are on chapter 27 of the fifth book of Harry Potter. The chapter title is The Centaur and the Sneak, mm-hmm. which is accurate. <laughs> yep. It is. Almost willfully misleading, but yes, accurate. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes and no. It's you, like you have, you have conveyed accurate information for the purpose of telling me nothing. <laughs> Welcome to chapter titling. Parts of the chapter, like I don't understand what your problem is, Spencer. (laughs) We will see. I will discuss. Well, we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. BJ's wizard wheezes. Newbie's notes with Spencer. Uh, We award house points, and then there are questions and queries. Um, I'm also interested. I'm, I'm particularly interested in this chapter that we get like a few tidbits of information that sort of answer some lingering smaller mm-hmm. questions that we have had over the course of this book. So that's always exciting for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we ready to get started? Uh, assuming you are. Uh, I have no idea how long this will take to recap because it's a weird, weird, sudden shift in focus chapter. Yeah. Um, we have reached the turn. <laughs> Every book has a turn. We have reached mm-hmm. the turn. Um there's, there's, a, there's a moment of when a clown shoes out the clowns, and suddenly we are on to a very different book from here. Um, I, I'm going wing and a prayer under two minutes for this one. I was doing my notes for it this morning and had to revise. My original drafts were so long that I didn't even finish my practice because I was so far over two minutes that I just needed to, <laughs> to go back to the drawing board and start again. Um all right, well, BJ, our Slytherin spectator, be careful. She's already admitted her notes may not be to the highest quality. I'm no, just trying get to better get her on each iteration. I'm just trying to get her to perform to the maximum of her ability and and to to reach for something important. I, I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> Your constant scorn is meant to motivate. It's very Slytherin of you. Constant <laughs> vigilance. <laughs> Uh, stopwatch is ready if you want, sir. Okay. Ferenc has turned a classroom into a forest clearing for divination class. Centaurs chart the skies for great tides of change marked there, which could take decades to unfold. They've been seeing a new battle coming to wizardkind. At the end of a very strange lesson, Ferenc asks Harry to stay. He has a warning for Hagrid. His attempt is not working. He would do better to abandon it. But Centaur, uh, but Harry struggles to deliver the message because Umbridge continues to attend every lesson. When he finally does, Hagrid refuses to listen. To make things worse, their owls are getting closer. The only bright spot is Dumbledore's army, where they're starting to work on Patronuses. But Do- Dobby arrives, trembling. Umbridge has found out about uh, DA and she's coming for them. Harry screams at them all to run, orders Dobby back to the kitchen to lie and to not hurt himself and heads for a nearby bathroom. When he's caught where he's caught by Malfoy with the trip jinx, Umbridge takes Harry to the headmaster's office, which is already occupied by McGonagall, Fudge, Dollish, Kingsley, Kingsley, Shacklebolt, and Percy. 
Fudge asks Harry if he knows why he's there. Dumbledore gives a small head shake behind him. So Harry says no, and he isn't aware of any school rules he's broken and there's an, an or that there's an illegal student organization. Umbridge brings in their informant, Cho's friend Marietta, who won't show her face. It's disfigured by Big Boyle spelling out sneak. Dumbledore claims the group was not illegal at the time of the Hogshead meeting, but what about the rest of the meetings? When questioned, Marietta, a blank look in her eyes, denies uh, knowledge of any other meetings. Umbridge goes off her nut. They found the sign-up list, which has Dumbledore's army right across the top. Dumbledore confuses the hell out of Fudge by immediately admitting that that's correct. Dumbledore's army, not Potter's army. Tonight was the first meeting. Fudge latches onto the idea that Dumbledore was plotting against him. Harry tries to intervene and gets dismissed. Percy confirms excitedly that he's got the whole confession down and he'll send a copy to the Daily Prophet. Fudge is ready to take Dumbledore to Azkaban to await trial. Dumbledore is disinclined to do this. Dawlish and Shacklebolt are ordered to take him. McGonagall immediately throws Harry, uh, Harry and Marietta to the floor. Spells fly. As the dust clears, Dumbledore's the only one left standing. He doesn't plan to go into hiding. He tells Harry how important occlumency lessons are, grabs onto Fox and disappears. Fudge and crew come to come to yelling, but there's no sign of Dumbledore. Fudge sends the students off to bed so they can continue the search. Well done. 154-12. 15. Very impressive. I will, I will take that. I... Yeah, Honestly, would not have guessed that that would come under two minutes. There is a surprising amount going on here. And as you said, we suddenly have now reached the sprint phase of the book. Yes. Um, yeah. Kind we'll of fun that it's within a chapter that it turns. Because usually it's, it's at the beginning of a chapter. Yeah, kind um, of between... A lot of work happens kind of between the chapters. We get a cliffhanger and then sort of something happening at the beginning of the <laughs> chapter. But this is like... This is actually self-contained, and we're in the room for it, which also doesn't always happen. As we talked about in our last episode, uh, BJ's frustrations with Hermione being (laughs) driving plots (laughs) off chapter, which she does a little bit in this chapter, too. It has just been in the works. Yes. Through prior action. A a really nice payoff. Uh, Uh, Honestly, like, I feel like we don't always get a lot of these mm -hmm. in terms of on-screen... Uh, time bomb that pays off like mm-hmm. on screen. Yes, like, the time turner was very off screen, and you just sort of got hints, but there was no like put into place, get reward. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and that was very much appreciated. Um, so, what else are you wheezing about? Um, I think that Parvati Patel might be J.K. Rowling's answer. <laughs> um, Go on. <laughs> uh, Given the, them centaurs, man. <laughs> yes. Uh, though kind of confusingly, we don't hear a lot about his nose, um, which mm. I kind of would have expected. But maybe it's because he's a man horse hybrid that there are other things to focus There's on. There's so much going on. Um, yeah. And if you were to talk about his impressive nose, it might be an odd stand-in. And <laughs> so, Fair enough. um. I do thoroughly appreciate um, that the uh, Blinkered and Fettered, uh, this is very much a, I'm pretty sure uh, she might not be closeted, I don't know about her life, but J.K. Rowling clearly uh, has a thing for horses, or at least (laughs) looks stuff up. Um, I don't know where it is. Um, I will say that uh, there are some hilarious things that go on, not the least of which Dean uh, saying, did Hagrid breed you like the Thestrals being like a wild thing in the world? <laughs> Hilarious. And, um, and he immediately I, realizes like, oh my God, that's a really terrible thing to say. I can't believe I said that. However, yeah. um, I am unwilling to Google this, but if there is not a fan fiction titled Frenze and the Phantom Steed, 
there has to be. <laughs> there is now. Yeah. Now you put it out there in the world. Yeah. Rule 34 exists, man. <laughs> I mean... It, it, it's notable, notable. That line is so bad that it makes Hermione's earlier just casual mention of part humans just look mild by comparison. It's yes. Like, oh, all these kids need a hell of a lesson on the subject of tolerance and interacting with other species, but dear to Christ, I didn't know how much they needed it. Yeah, I was wondering if the reference to, if Hermione's reference to part humans was going to come up because we just, you know, we just had this conversation just about... about I, not really, they're... They would, I mean, they would, they're not. <laughs> right. Which is also sort of an interesting question, because, like, in mythology, they are. Mm-hmm. But it it's kind of an interesting uh, gray region, it seems, in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how much of that is, like, a... Uh, is she sort of saying this from uh, Umbridge's standpoint? Yeah. I don't think it's better... Yeah, uh, but it's sort of a question. Um, I, 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 fa- I found it actually that line to be remarkably in character for Hermione because, for example, she's made made herself a personal quest of helping the house elves, mm-hmm. but at no point has she really bothered to actually understand them. That she is coming at this from the perspective of the well-meaning but far removed from the circumstances liberal and school activist. Yeah, um, I think there's pro- that's probably a a, a fair read. To, yeah. Right, she I, I, she does I, I, mean well, but it, 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 it's a fair read to the point of I almost feel like it's it's uh, rolling doing an intentional dig at a class of people. Mm. Yeah, that she might be in. Anyway, so <laughs> do you think that Firenze's <laughs> reference to astronomy was a willful mispronunciation of astrology because he doesn't think that Trelawney does a good job? No, because they have an actual astronomy class. Okay, so they would have. He's referencing that class. Okay. And then when Parvati and Lavender, or whoever it is, yeah, um, talk starts about talking about what, yeah, yeah then that okay. was from divination. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I like my version a lot better. Sure. Uh, but... I do too. I think that's great. <laughs> I, To be honest, it's possible that Ferenz doesn't himself see much of a distinction. Yeah. Right? Because uh, both it... of them are wrong interpretations of a thing to him. So what does it matter sure. if they're like technically in different classes? Yeah, the the level of scorn that he just casts on these entire accepted magical fields mm-hmm. is just delightful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm with you both. The man would not only conflate them; he'd throw them out entirely, just as being completely useless useless exercises in human vanity. That that is his perspective on this, and is not even really trying. He he is so thoroughly done. With the human's misunderstanding and misapplication of, you know, prophecy and fortune-telling centered around an entirely self-centered kind of perspective on it, that he's not even trying to really educate them as to how it should actually be done, that's going to take too long. He's going to give you an intercultural perspective in this first lesson, and we will work from that ground floor. (laughs) Yeah, I love the commentary on the lesson at the end, which is essentially like, the only message was that we don't know anything. Yeah. Good lesson. Yeah. This is, um, this is where, despite the fact he's trying to, I think, despite the fact, but also because of the fact that he's going so heavily into the idea of you know nothing, it's not perfectly reliable, the biggest flaw you have is your own human misconceptions in terms of interpreting data. He's trying to frame this as not being scientific, but for some reason, because of that, it came across as so much more scientific yeah. by comparison. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, that, that was a very funny thing. Uh, the other couple of things in this chunk was, um, I... I like that we 
uh, and I'm sorry, Spencer, I'm dipping a little bit into Nubi's notes, but I like that we Please. do get a com- uh, confirmation that Trelawney does have actual powers, uh, essentially. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's that, but like that she may have a big S scene. Um, but I do like that he's just like, and she's fortune telling and that's garbage. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just, just a great little framing of, of, you know, what he thinks and how he thinks it. Uh, Sarah. Yes. How do you feel that uh, smudging is a thing? And uh, do you feel very vindicated? And did you know this when you started in on the entertainment with smudging? Um Yes, for our listeners who don't know, I currently live in Asheville, North Carolina, where smudging is uh, not only encouraged, it is required. <laughs> um, you can you can buy a pre-made smudge for all, all situations at any store you walk into. Um, I did not remember this when I okay. got into smudging. <laughs> for, for those that don't know, what is smudging? So smudging is a process by which you burn... Uh, bundles of herbs typically in your house to um, dispel bad auras or bad spirits um, or I guess it might also to be to like encourage good good spirits or good auras or whatever to come in but it is essentially meant to um, take away bad energy from a space um, to leave a cleansed space for better energy to take root mm-hmm um, you also have to be very careful about opening your windows and uh, let your alarm company know that a fire alarm is probably going to go off. Very fair. <laughs> Lessons learned. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these uh, are the practical tips I can offer on smudging. <laughs> so what do we think a calming draft is? And uh, I, I know it's something I would have really liked to have in law school because good God was I reading that passage going, I feel you. I feel all you right now. I know what you're going through. We tried alcohol and it was not successful. <laughs> I mean, that's clearly not what it was, but but it also, like, in the realm of Harry Potter, I do kind of imagine that, you know, it it's probably, you know, a little bit more of the, uh, like, chloral hydrate. You are calm. You're not doing anything useful. You're just, like, <laughs> there. So, Non-active is a form of calm. Yes. Um. Yeah, just it, it's really just enough to like allow your heart rate time to recover, and then you're just back, back into it. Um, I'm terrible about remembering things, and I don't want to Google things because uh, I do know that I could be in realm of spoilers. But fizzing Wisby, is that a Fred and George thing, or is that just a general thing? No, that's I, a general candy. Okay. Um, um, it's a, I, I think was it's a, really sort of honeyduke special you wanted dumbledore to have gotten wind of that would have been so dumbledore i know so perfect he he's their he's their second angel investor (laughs) no he's not an investor he's their prime Uh, harry's their original investor harry's their original right no no he's the prime customer he's just buying all of this it's he's not investing he wants the product (laughs) this is not a he's investing the return is He's the investing in that Kickstarter way. Yeah, um, but there are a whole bunch of things that that uh, I'm excited to talk about that are much more into newbies notes. Um, I I do need need to mention um, that there's a character that that I'm really unfamiliar with and I'm surprised was in here. Uh, 
Why didn't we learn about another... Uh, or What? No, a Weasley brother that we've never met before. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Um, I think he has some affiliation with Weatherby. Just, ah, I, I, okay. I, I, I think there's some kind of connection there. <laughs> uh, shall, I, shall I go into Doobie's notes while we return yes. to that point here in a minute? <laughs> yes. Uh, this is a damn entertaining chapter. It's like th- there are chapters which are interesting, which are intriguing, which have further notes to go forward afterwards. They're also just well written. This, chap- this chapter has some of those things. It's also just packed with excitement. It's like there there have been rare moments in Harry Potter where I've stood up and whooped. This chapter <laughs> had a couple of them. Like there was even an aspect of pacing at a certain point of just like, oh my god, I'm watching an epic rap battle and the mic drop just happened. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, and to that point, I will say this chapter feels like it was written differently than a lot of other chapters mm-hmm. um, in terms of the vocabulary used, the pacing, uh, the, you know, two to three act structure of like how things unfold. And just, this is a, this feels like a, a well-written, like uh short story inside mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, 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 it's a hell of a successful one-act play, effectively, in terms of what we're going through here. Yeah. This really feels like it was written early on. Like, bef- as a... I'll, I'll like, get to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is yeah. something that I will get to. Here is a scene that needs to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And... It, it, I think that's a great read, BJ. This feels like this was the original idea, and much was written to justify getting to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, the first half and the second half are so directly related uh it's it's such i think a and you know maybe i'm reading a little too much into it but like a good example of ya where in other books you might have had the i'm not going to hit you in the face with the war is coming and Mm -hmm. the start of it in the same chapter in like (laughs) you know a, a, a very quick camera shift but It'd be harder to put the two together if they were six chapters apart in a book like this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost feel like it endorses some of the things that Friends was telling me. It's like, we've been seeing for 10 years that war might be coming. We're not exactly sure when, and, you know, you really can't be certain about these things. Three pages later, and here we are. War <laughs> <Worldwide> declared. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, this chapter's got everything. We start with epic unlocking the universe means of prophecy over multiple years of study completely dismissing our established understanding of how the field might work. We go into a proper criminal trial. I was here for it. We'll get there. (laughs) We get to see Dumbledore throw down forever, and it's intimidating as I ever thought it was going to be. And he ends with a bright flash of Phoenix escape. It's like, if this was a Vegas show, it'd sell out every week. This stuff is great. To get there, though... We, we start with an utter mathematician of a title. BJ, you're going to defend this, and I'm going to challenge you on it, up where the centaur and the sneak is perfectly encapsulating events that occur in this chapter in a way that reveals nothing. I find that eminently frustrating, while at the same time feeling <laughs> obliged to applaud it, just for how much it accurately summarizes the two different key events in this chapter while telling me shit about what to expect about it. Yep. I, uh, this is perfect. <laughs> it, also di- it also didn't help, like BJ, like you referenced. We start with Parvati essentially spending the open part of this chapter pondering, is it bestiality with a centaur? I don't know. Th- that's how we open this damn chapter, and I'm happily, happily leave that one behind pretty quick. Uh, 
Hermione, though, I gotta credit, is 100% right about Umbridge and needs to be, you know... The fact that people have doubts about that is concerning. It's like, yes, she has further realms of terrible to plumb. Obviously mm -hmm. she does. Please uh, read the character well enough to know that she has entire new realms to explore in terms of ways of being a villain in this story. I have to throw in a bad joke that uh, I didn't <laughs> think of before, which is... That's a hell of uh, an introduction to a joke, BJ. <laughs> go on. This is what y'all are here for. Mm -hmm. Do you think Parv Parvati is very excited that, that he's a Palomino? Do you think she'd be okay with him being uh, a Frisian? Got play on his name. Nope, it's 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 a it's a joke for for the horse lovers. Sorry, uh, you can you can <laughs> Google it later and and be very disappointed in, in the joke. All all two of them are laughing their asses off right now. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. Sure. Yep. You you, you know your fan base. You know. Them. I do. Uh, BJ's you talked about. I, I think Hermione's also right that it, we talked about this last chapter that the fact that. Ferns is non-human as a centaur is also a key aspect by why she's put off to this. Not just the fact that Dumbledore pulled a fast war on him and she's going to make him regret it, but the fact of how he did so. Though, BJ, as you said, the fact that Hermione and, uh, was it Dean or was it Seamus, are no better at all with respect to their own possible it prejudices? Was, it was Dean. Dean. Yes, yeah, it okay. was Dean. Dean, fix yourself, son. <laughs> this is under circumstances of where it hadn't been Ferns and maybe been another centaur. Then, that might have been just a, an utter murdering offense. It's like, you know, what's interesting, I realize that we are in their, like, fifth year here, so not necessarily an excuse, but it is interesting that it's Dean and Hermione who do this, who are both muggle-borns. Mm. None of us are immune to this kind of form of racism. Well, I actually, I, I sort of meant that, like, it's, it's perhaps not surprising that they don't have oh, the experience or language around... Um, well, there, there's I, experience... You know, there's experience, there's language, and then there's, oh, has Hagrid been breeding you in the forest and I what know, are his future it's tough. plans? It's tough. <laughs> there are levels. It's, I'm, I know. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ferenc, much more calmly than I did, addressed the problem that I'm saying centaurs are not servants nor playthings of humans, which I appreciate how wonderfully calm he was in terms of revealing that. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, BJ, for the illustrious horse pictures. We're getting horse pictures in the Skype channel. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh. Well, all the more Point interesting made. for me, though, <laughs> yeah, is uh, Ferenz noting the punishments from his own people with respect to what he's doing. Yes. The fact that he has been banished from the herd for essentially consorting with humans. Even some, even a human like Dumbledore, Spencer. who otherwise seems to widely earn respect. Spencer. I did that intentionally. You have to allow me my jokes, sir. I appreciate it. <laughs> um but it, I find that a very nice touch. I appreciate those kind of real-world aspects that, yes, given the long history of abuse, racism, mistreatment, outright murder that's been implied in the past when it comes to the treatment of various non-humans in the wizarding world, they would have issues about him now being joining the wizarding community mm -hmm. to teach their students aspects of centaur knowledge, which seems rather unique to them and they're more than a little bit proud about. And it also, BJ, you talked about refer thing, referencing the things that have been previously established in the books. He already had a reputation for this that we saw back in book one in terms of how his, the rest of his kind viewed him negatively on the subject of him affiliating with humans. BJ, would you prefer that term? <laughs> Consorting is fine. Uh, <coughs> so, I mean... Our body had hopes there. <laughs> and, but, and we do have reference to uh, Harry writing him previously and that being one of the, you know, main problems with the, his... It was a huge sticking acts. point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, a lot of sticking point. 
I, um, and the other thing, and we had a previous reference to Mars in the meeting yes. without the explanation. And, yes. and so like it, it's fun that, that we get that again. We get that again. Yep. I give, let's give rolling credit. She takes notes. She's got the <laughs> She's strings up too. <laughs> uh, we, we, we discussed it, but uh, the, uh, the, I'll, I'll frame it this way, but the species pride that friends is bringing to this discussion is just delightful. Uh, he's just completely casting aspersions on human nonsense throughout the entirety of this <laughs> lesson. And I'm here for it. We've talked about it. But I, it really, really felt like those circumstances of where the regular professor steps aside and they bring in just like a guest practitioner in the field mm-hmm. who proceeds to just utterly dismiss everything you've learned as pointless nonsense that you should <laughs> forget right away. Let me explain how you actually do the job. Um, I th- Spencer, I think it's Palomino Pride. <laughs> My apologies. Keep the alliteration going. Uh, but it, this lesson is lovely. I'd, I'd very much like to learn more. And this is unquestionably a form of divination class that I would happily sit in. Previously, <laughs> it was a chore with Trelawney. This seems fascinating. It's like, I don't care if I ever actually learn how to do this. I just want to learn how you do this, because this seems interesting. Mm-hmm. And this, this also feels like the kind of thing of like, you, you need to learn enough about centaur culture to then unlock an understanding of this. It's almost like, a, did you guys ever see the film Arrival? Mm-mm. I great need to, sci-fi yeah. film, Great sci-fi, sci-fi film to see, but the key aspect of that is the understanding of language for the purpose of understanding purpose mm-hmm. and understanding mm-hmm. culture and everything mm-hmm. else. This feels like it's steeped in that is that once you understand centaur cultures, perhaps then you'll understand centaur prophecy. So do you think that anybody actually talks about the class and how disappointed do you think Hermione would be that she wasn't there for it? Uh, I think that it will be mentioned in passing, and even those just casual offhand discussions by Ron and Hermione will get, well, by, by Ron and Harry, will get Hermione attending that class, assuming <laughs> it still exists. It's like, she'll, she'll audit it. She's, she'll, yeah, she'll, she's she'll, just going to sit in. Doesn't matter. She'll be there. Uh, also, just in terms of being a teacher, kudos to friends for having a full understanding of both presentation and gravitas. Mm. Uh, he, he presents what's already interesting material, but he does so like a proper showman. Okay, you've actually worked this out. Kudos. I love that it's like simultaneously that, but we also get the nugget dropped in that like as the consequence of him being kicked out of his herd, mm-hmm. Dumbledore has allowed him to recreate mm-hmm. his environment. Uh, did he allow him it's to nice recreate touch. it? Did he help him recreate it? Do we know if Ferenc was, was un- like able to do this on his own or? It was unclear. And okay. I kind of... a appreciated that it was unclear mm-hmm. but i feel like we there's a little bit of a tip to he might have been able to do it because he did seem to have control over the environment yes. which yeah. does mm-hmm. feel like a, a he is more powerful than we anticipate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that we st- we're now stumbling into the idea through characters like this of just reiterating something we kind of assumed before about the wizarding understanding of magic is basically just one school. There are entire other realms of understanding of magic out there that are removed from the human experience of it, and almost willfully so by humans, mm-hmm. which are fascinating. And in some ways, like as we've seen with house elves before, as we've now seen through friends, they're potentially much more powerful, or at least much more interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. And rightly so, the British came in in a large group and made sure that they were put to their intended use in the world. Indeed. Uh, the whole part on the subject of Friends' warning to Hagrid feels like, 
I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's been going on. I'm not actually going to explain fully. In many ways, I'm going to give you more questions than you actually had before. But I'm kind of answering your question. Mm -hmm. Of where Friends provides a warning about the Hagrid's attempt is not working. That he shouldn't. That he has enough troubles rather uh, rather than getting involved in a centaur battle. Uh, and that Hagrid's done a great service to Friends, hence why Friends is keeping Hagrid's secrets. All that is interesting. All that gives us a bit of a hint as to what Hagrid may be getting involved in. It's getting his ass kicked week by week. Um, while at the same time, the information, as prophecy so often does, goes unhealed, uh, un, unhealed, ah, unfollowed by Hagrid, <laughs> uh, who is consistently, as always, overconfident to his potential prospects, while noting, as Hagrid is always very willing to do, that there are things more important than keeping his job. I he have... may not be. Go ahead, Spencer. He, he may not be the smartest. He may not be the most capable. But one cannot fault his dedication to the cause. He is a good soldier. Yeah, I have this image in my head that the centaurs are pugilists for some reason, <laughs> um, and uh, and Hagrid is trying to convince them of his rightness that friends should not have been kicked out by basically. Uh, 1v1 boxing the the centaurs like make the from, square from... make the square i've been yeah. watching the last kingdom <laughs> there's a lot of square making going on <laughs> proper tactics uh yeah and basically working his way up the ranks to mm -hmm. to convince them that that this is what should be happening and God. I, I, now I need a montage. I do. I, did, I didn't. I didn't realize that we we had you know Hagrid straight up going against Clubber Lang and Drago over the course of the background of the story. But now I need to see. We've it. got Hagrid moving boulders around in in the forest and running up the Hogwarts steps. So, do you think that centaurs fight more like kangaroos or like horses? Do you think they turn around and kick backwards, or do they? Do you think they rear up and and you know? basically get four limbs a, a punch in. Well, it is notable that the only sign we have had so far in story of a centaur-related injury is a hoof brand, effectively, or imprint on Forenz's chest. And, uh, and if I... our the picture is to be believed, it right. is upside down, which would mean rear up, yes. kick right. that way, yeah. Which is either, you know, it's fun to interpret what exactly that is, because the story highlights it, but then doesn't go into further detail about it. It either is, you know, an injury of some sort. It also could be in some ways almost like a mark of Cain. Mm -hmm. This is a brand. This is a, you know, a scarlet letter of sorts that's placed upon him for a fundamental sin he's committed. Like, he is bearing the badge of shame of his people. Yeah. Or he just got the shit punched out of him in terms of an argument. Who knows? One of those two. Also, no reason it can't be both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I said I was fully 100% having law school PTSD flashbacks and the subject of how students are responding to the stress of exams. It's like, if those calming drawns were a thing in law school, you would just find just piles of law students just laying about midway through exam season, just dead <laughs> to the world, but happily removed from the stress of the situation. Yeah, I feel like they'd have to have some sort of quota system or limit system oh, where, yeah, you've got it tattooed Sorry. on you how many you've had, so you can't... <laughs> Yeah, this is this is him just a dosage issue. This is like morphine syrette. Yeah. It's like no, no, two more of these and your heart will just stop. It's going to be like it's like a monkey trying finger, to get like Sudafed. You had yeah, <laughs> you have two left. Uh, one of the just more casually sad things about this chapter: uh, Neville struggling to think of something happy for the yeah. purpose of conjuring a Patronus was very quietly, very not even lingered on, just sad. It's like. Okay, Roland, you're getting more confident with your writing. You don't need to highlight Harry's own commentary on that subject. 
You just put it out there with enough explanation and context that we all can just go, oh, Neville. But I also, get it. But oh, really interesting how easily Cho conjured one, mm-hmm. which is such a weird juxtaposition. Yeah, she's yeah. M- more in tune with her emotions, perhaps. Perhaps because she's more willing to talk about them or share them. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess it's sort of like I wonder what she is referencing, but like a lot of things could have happened off scene and, and you know, yeah. prior to the past couple of years, she's sort of been a happy-go-lucky, I guess, kind of student, but... Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the things, the fact that Cho has an emotional range suggests a certain degree of emotional health in her that we don't otherwise see in people like Neville and Harry. Mm-hmm. For the generally unshifting fabric of that their emotional presentation gives us more of a hint about the problems there as compared to Cho. Yeah, she could have highs and lows because she's able to. Yeah. Um, do you think we could get our friend Levi, who is obsessed with otters, <laughs> to read Harry Potter simply based on the fact that Hermione's Patronus is an otter? Yes. I'm saying it now. <laughs> so there's, a le- there's a level of dedication in his path to the cause of otters that might be enough by itself. All right, well, now we have a project. <laughs> I think he's seen the movies. And, and it'd be really funny if it wasn't the same in the movie, because, like, it doesn't have the like, same... Hours of buildup to get to that exact scene, and it's a chicken. Yep. I mean, like, there is there are reasons that, that Harry's Patronus is what it is, but, like, mm-hmm. no one else's Patronus, as far as I can tell, like, has meaning, at least among the students. So it's kind of like a... There's no reason to keep it that way. Um, and it's actually here in particular that, that where I was talking about good, good words, uh, gambling around is is just, Mm. that is the only word that should ever be used for an otters movement ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to be using it going forward Mm -hmm. in the rare circumstances it comes up. (laughs) You can manufacture circumstances. I believe in you, Spencer. (laughs) If we return to my childhood bedroom, there were a surprising amount of otters in there. <laughs> I've got opportunities. Uh, Dobby the hero. We've we've often debated the merits of Dobby, whether he is actually improving situations or not. I've been a continual defender of him, and I feel like I've got profound evidence this chapter that this guy is the unheralded hero of this whole entire damn story. The man, through a process of self-abuse and violating rules, forced his way in there to save the day. All hands up for our man Dobby. Could Umbridge uh, have gotten in? Could Umbridge have gotten in? Yes. She didn't have to. She could just wait outside. I mean, it's like one of the things that yeah. would have been more effective if she didn't go in and just arrest them all as they're just calmly walking out. Then she can go in afterwards. Uh, but it's one. Of, it's, it's a very effective pivot moment in the story of where, the, as I said before, the clown shows up. Dobby's the clown. It's the role he's played, whatever else, to shoo out the clowns. We've lost the comedy side of the story in mid-chapter, Right here on this pivot point. Mm -hmm. It's a very effective little moment of where suddenly, from here on after, we are at a completely different tempo, completely different focus, and a completely different tone. And it's well sold. I mean, it's interesting that you say that, because I guess I don't view him that way, but I understand why, like, he sort of has that. Um, And also you remind me of the whole Pagliacci thing, but... Well, that, that's my reference. He is wearing the tro- he's wearing the outfit of a clown. Mm-hmm. He has all of the trappings of it. Yeah. But he is a clown more in the classical, like, operatic presentation kind of style rather than just the existing for the sake of silly. Yeah. Would, you, would you say that he wears many hats? Yes, Sarah, I would. And g- bravo. Well Five played. Five points to Ravenclaw. <laughs> well done. Man, folks, I assure you, we don't write these in advance, but sometimes those moments just happen. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, but sorry, but you're going So, but uh, the other thing I was going to say is, I there is another interpretation of Dobby that I kind of want to put out there, which is the crazy homeless bag lady, and <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, him, he, and um, oh man, I'm blanking on her name. We all, uh, Winky. the next door neighbor. Oh. Oh, right, the, the uh, squib. Mrs. Fick. came to save him. Mrs. Yeah, Fick. that's it. Um, who really was sort of the, the uh, you know, crazy old cat lady, but, mm-hmm. you know, is very helpful, but in some ways kind of sad. And and oh, to yeah. a large extent, like, I think of his wearing clothing, like the clothing that he is, as, as more of a uh, a sad thing than, than a clown thing. And, and, like, you know, I guess it sort of has both of those, but, but just a... Uh, a reminder of he didn't have his freedom and he keeps taking it upon him because, you know, he's sort of bearing the weight of his entire race Mm -hmm. uh, that he feels is enslaved, but I think has a better understanding than Hermione that you can't just forcefully free them. You're you're growing a more Fisher King interpretation of the character and I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it... Moving from that scene... Are anyone here at all surprised that the Slytherins have been recruited to Umbridge's cause? It's just like, no, this is a trope that I was fully expecting to happen about the villains have now united under a common banner. An opportunity to abuse other students, particularly Harry Potter and all the actual heroes of the cast. (laughs) I'm here for it. There's a salary? No need. I'm getting paid from day to day enjoyment. (laughs) Well, yes, but I think that it's much more reasonable than you'd otherwise like expect except like what they're enforcing the law by means of authority figures sure but they're prefects so like uh right are they not all of them no just because there are only two prefects for each house right so it's just malfoy and was it is pansy parkinson i thought it was yeah I thought yeah. it was Pansy Parkinson, who's, who are in the two fairness, that are there. In fairness, those the only two that are named. Are they the right. only two that are named? Okay, I thought there was an implication I, that there were others. Good call, BJ. Good. I, I interpreted okay. it being like there was a herd of Slytherins that were following her biddings. She's yelling out, I thought, to multiple people, but only two are named. But it's fair, the only two she names are the prefects. Maybe they've deputized their fellow masses. And so, Marietta, Marietta, mm-hmm. I, like, I, I guess I don't, well, I don't remember who she is, but like, especially if she's in Slytherin, which, you know, or... She's in, not, Raven, she's in Ravenclaw. Oh, she's in Ravenclaw. She's okay. yeah. She's Cho's friend from Ravenclaw. Okay. Um, People don't befriend outside their houses, sir. Come on, know your lane. Very possibly. Uh, but you know, if she's a true blood, then you know it's kind of okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> a pure blood, whatever. Um, I think she's in Ravenclaw. It doesn't really matter. Um, I, th- I think I, she. I is. thought the implication there was yeah. Right. But but I, I feel like I have to stand up for my Slytherin comrades that that <laughs> go on that while defend while, the devil <laughs> while this is something that they enjoy doing having prefects enforcing the rules i mean this they were also supposed it, to right they were also yeah. supposed to and that very possibly umbridge like basically come with me to help enforce the rules because that's what you're here for they were there for that uh, so- so, some people choose their professions not only so that they can enforce the law, sometimes they also just want a legalized excuse to kick somebody's ass. I mean, and Harry Both Potter can be acknowledged. needs his ass kicked on a regular basis by other students because he is completely an insufferable jock. I have 
not I have lost track as I think we are meant to do of exactly which educational decrees we already have in place. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been a few. And I'm twenty seven try- or something at this point. Well, yeah, we're yes, it's twenty seven because we're about to get to twenty eight. Um, mm. And I'm trying to. And I can't ask the question because if it hasn't happened yet, it's spoilery. So <laughs> it's spoilery. Don't don't do it. Okay. Because uh, I think it's it's at the very beginning of the next chapter. No, I know the one at the beginning of the next chapter. Okay. I'm trying to remember if the educational decree I'm thinking of comes as a consequence and because of this one, or if she had already put okay. it in place. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. Spencer, yeah. get out your string. Uh, sorry. Well, I'll have it ready. Um, Weather big. Weather be returns. Yes. Uh, at triumphant. Toady, triumphant. At toady level. <laughs> toady level eleven. Is that where we are for Weather be at this point? Yes. Yeah. Um, so Spencer, do you think that this was the reward for him turning in a, a good set of notes and directives for the thicknesses of cauldrons and no, the think... improper import from the far eastern? import company of, of faulty cauldrons. Now, the original reward for that was to actually be referred to by his real name, which Fudge does in this chapter. So, you know, that was that that was the starter reward there. Mm-hmm. His good loyal performance since, including against his own family of traitors, has earned his, his close accolades now. Uh, I gotta give credit, credit to Harry early. One of the most common tricks that cops ever play on you is to ask you what crime you think you committed so that they can get the early <laughs> confession out of that. Just don't answer the question. Deny it. Don't answer it. Just sit there. Right to remain silent. You do have to invoke it. Damn you, Supreme Court. But, you know, you, there's no there's no obligation to provide a cop information like that, and nor should you. How do you um, invoke the right to remain silent? Do you have to remain silent to do so? You no, know, you, if you don't, the, the, you have not actually invoked it. This is a more recent Supreme Court declare if you actually have to affirmatively state you are invoking your right to remain silent or you haven't, and cops can keep talking to you and keep interacting with you and all kinds of other things. So keep track of that one. Shifting precedent on the subject of, crim- of rights and criminality. Uh, so, yeah, good job to Harry there. Hermione's Jinx and Marietta. BJ, as you referenced, this is well set up that you know this was going to be a thing going forward, a ticking time bomb, as it were. But it just adds to a list of Hermione may be, in the student body's view, one of the most scary people around. It's like, girls building up a reputation of being very willing to kick the dog where necessary for her cause, and this is a public display of that fact. Not directly, intentionally on you, willful, but it still is her results playing out in real life. Uh, the uh, name of Marietta's mom, uh, Madame Edgecombe, we, yes. we met her or knew her, or the name sounded very familiar. Um, yeah, I think we've gotten it, I don't know, I think we've gotten it at some point, but I think it's probably in relation to what is revealed about what she is doing at Hogwarts for Umbridge and the Ministry. <laughs> Flu network man- maintenance. Or management. Monitoring. <laughs> mm. um, well, her, her, which, her original job versus what she's now using it for. Yes, um, which is is one of those, like, I, I was delighted by this because it's the answer to one of those small questions that we have had kind of throughout this book about like how is Umbridge actually monitoring getting into these conversations with Sirius particularly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of things that I love probably the most in this chapter, uh, Dumbledore's criminal defense strategy is like, you know, flawless and great. And I'm just here for it. Where it's like, 
who needs my cousin Vinny in terms of watching Criminal Procedure at play? Dumbledore's <laughs> got this down. It's like, it, 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 it's multi-tiered. It involves blatant intentional witness tampering that he didn't plan for, but <laughs> Kingsley's here to help with. But it, he's emphasizing that the key original events that led to this investigation were not illegal at that time, and that a- actions of, you know, not non... Uh, Perfectly legal behavior at a prior point cannot be used to establish any future future illegal behavior. Well done. Uh, he's establishing that there is no actual direct witness testimony and that we're merely hearing hearsay from an unreliable, self-motivated uh, officer of the law by comparison who can't even reestablish that testimony by means of the witness who is present. He's confirming that there's no... He was probably about to set up that there was no actual observation of criminal activity because everyone had already left the room at that time and that observation of flight is not itself a crime but more re- merely reason to stop, which we've now done, but cannot confirm the criminal activity from here. Uh, he's then setting up that the freaking prosecutor is attacking their own witness in front of what is a jury of their peers in the form of the prior headmasters of the school, all of which are actively getting on his side. The man had set this up perfectly for a straight-up acquittal on circumstance right here, right now. If only, if only, the freaking students hadn't taken notes on a criminal conspiracy. It's like, they left a sign saying, here are all the people that did illegal things, please. Let's hang it on the wall. It's like, I think you even did note this. Early what? on, I think you even did note this early on. I did. That that, that <laughs> so dumb. Uh, like, and also it, that that it's not in like disappearing ink that we know is a thing. Yeah. Like just. Yeah. But it does allow Dumbledore to establish the fact that it, the idea that he is the instigator and the enemy, not Harry. Dumbledore spins it well. Yes. But um, my my point is they. I don't think he planned this. No. I don't think he knew about no. this. And I don't think he, we needed that. He was working the situation perfectly to the point that all of the room were just being, you know, dancing along to his tune. Mm-hmm. It, I can just picture Dumbledore in his mind just cu- quoting Prop Joe, and I'm doing a version of it. He is dealing with some burdensome fucking wizards in terms of his day-to-day <laughs> management of this cause. Also, Harry was the last person out of the room of requirement, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. If he had properly shut the door... They wouldn't have been able to get there. Oh, Lord. It's like, can you just picture what's inside Dumbledore's head as he's just gleeful, gleeful, everything's working perfectly, and then they come to that bit of evidence, and there's just a profound sigh. It's like, this, like, Dumbledore, of course, being so magically powerful, is fourth wall aware, and he's just looking at this going, and this is the hero of the story. (laughs) This is the guy, this is the guy that I, as the mentor, will probably stereotypically at some point die to inspire. This is, I... This is my role. I'm falling on my sword right now. This is I'm doing the Obi-Wan right here before all of us. Thank you, Harry. I expected to maybe not have to do this in the story because I'm otherwise God. I mean, I... he definitely knows what's going on in the Room of Requirement. This this does yeah. seem like a... He, he, he's got the equivalent Spies of everywhere. wizard cameras. Like... <laughs> It seemed like he was caught off guard at least a little bit by the actual frickin' signed contract. Like, of course he knows about the meetings. Of course he knows about the events. But it seemed like even he's looking over the shoulder and just... There's a pivot moment of like, Okay, everything I've just previously prepared is not going to work. Let's take a different tact at this. I I... have... Sorry, go ahead, Spencer. And then I have a a fan theory. Sarah first. Sarah first. I, I just, I like that, yes, all of this is true. Everything we've talked about is true. But the rapidity with which Dumbledore 
not not spins the thing. Of course, he's going to spin the thing. He can do that. But the rapidity with which he switches to, oh, but I get to annoy Fudge with this. Yeah, it's like this. This isn't even a Actually. consolation prize. <laughs> it's like, I, okay, I'm go. I'm I'm now being going to be declared the greatest outlaw in the history of our people. It's glee. There's no reason I can't have fun. It's with glee. That. Yeah, it makes me so happy. It's almost that element of that. I, I can't even say it's resigned, but it's that moment of when the thing you've been dreading the entire story happens, mm-hmm. and then it does, and suddenly you just all feel almost unburdened now that it's gone, now that you're here. It's like, well, now I can just have fun with this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you, yeah. Yeah, Spencer. What were you going to say? No, I was, I was going to talk about other events. Okay. Please, go ahead. Nope. Uh, I am putting everything into the previous books into place with reference to one thing. Hmm. So... Dumbledore has a knowledge of things that are going on with Harry and in uh, the in Hogwarts in general that that is surprising. And he also has this insistence about how one interacts with Voldemort and like naming him and things like that. Like it it has a certain power, but sort of only if you believe in it. Uh, and but he and we'll get to this. He really does caution Harry later in this chapter about like protecting his mind. Mm-hmm. So the question I have for for you is why why does Dumbledore know so much about this and why is he so insistent on this? I have a theory. I, I'd love to hear it. Dumbledore has this power where he is named, you know, his name is written or he is spoken about. He gets a sense of what's going on, and therefore has known all about Dumbledore's army for since its inception and since it was talked about because they invoked his name. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he has knowledge of what's going on. And that's how he knows about all the things that are going on at Hogwarts to an impressive degree. But it's also probably driven a little bit insane by this because he is constantly getting this impressive stream of information from everywhere within his domain. His Google <laughs> alert goes off very frequently. <laughs> exactly. Th- that little ding lock- will drive you nuts. <laughs> this is why he just locks himself up, up in his office. He needs to remove himself from the circumstances because they're always upon him. I'm with it, man. This is, it, it fits the mirror op- the mirror but equal and opposite view of Dumbledore with respect to Voldemort that I've been loving throughout the story anyway. So yeah, those guys are two sides of the same coin. I'm with it entirely. <laughs> uh, one other further bit of just uh, Dumbledore's genius, which he, it's even more effective because it's set up through another person, but he also undermines one of their key witnesses in the, for- in the form of Wittershins, who I wasn't expecting Wittershins to show up as he does at this moment. <laughs> we that get back to the regurgitating toilets. Yep. <laughs> We're back to it. We're, we have, we've been explained why he got off previously that uh, Ron's dad was so pissed off about. Mm-hmm. It's that he made a deal with the prosecution for the sake of saving himself, which Dumbledore sets up perfectly by means of friggin' McGonagall, the ones that emphasize it. It's like, oh yeah, your key witness, the one that committed all those damn crimes, the one who now got forgiven for all those damn crimes on the basis of providing testimony about events that weren't even illegal at the time? Well, compelling testimony, prosecutor. <laughs> it sells perfectly. Again, Alternative career is, is a defense attorney. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore's here for it. Uh, from this point, though, as you said, once Dumbledore gleefully reveals himself as the villain of the story, playing off all of Fudge's preconceptions and fears entirely, is just epic. The man rapidly, uh, upon what is just laugh-out-loud moments nonstop of Dumbledore getting... I'm almost picturing him giggling to himself during these lines as he's going through them. As, 
Um, Fudge just gets increasingly horrified about it all was true all along. <laughs> You've been the master manipulator, which, you know, he's right about, just not about, you know, going after him, but, you know. Um, Do you think but- that this is, like, really, and I imagine Dumbledore doing this in real life, much like a stage play? He's like, and I was the villain the entire yeah. time! And <laughs> yes. Fudge is like, yes, he was... <laughs> you were the villain the entire time? <laughs> this is very much the plural moment at the mm-hmm. end of the story of when he's now confronting the villain and the villain feeds, feels the need to now talk dramatically to reveal his crimes. Uh, it is, he's purposely playing up that. You can almost just picture him just doing a different, you know, villain presentation voice as he's doing these kind of things. Uh, hey, if anybody in the story was previously a stage actor at some point, Dumbledore's high on that list. That man enjoyed theater back in the day. Yes. Uh, but it's just a str- once you know, they now move to arrest him, it's just a straight up series of mic drops <laughs> for Dumbledore essentially points out to everyone, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, do not understand that I'm God. <laughs> do not understand I have the ability to just simply deatomize you at will if I wish to. So if you'd like to try to arrest me, I invite you to bring it because we all know how that's going to play out. It's just a series of no, you can't. You need to recognize that the only way you could ever successfully arrest me is by my will. I don't wish to, therefore, we're, that's not going to happen. And in a series, it, it, I, I like that it is on screen but off in just terms of how it plays out because it's almost beyond Harry's ability to understand. Mm-hmm. In one shining gesture of a moment, the room is obliterated and all other wizards are knocked out while Dumbledore just casually then walks over to have a private conversation with Harry. We don't have a full understanding of how powerful this man is. The only data point we've had previously is the other most powerful wizard in the story is afraid of him. And now we're seeing it on text about, hey, keep your hero loyal because at any point they feel like you've now betrayed them, you've given them all the power to protect you and now they'll use it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and so much more impressive that ministry, high-level ministry wizards don't know what spell just hit them and its effects and how powerful it is. Like, uh, very, very much so, yes. Kingsley's in on it, so I almost wondered to what degree, you know, he assisted or has now done a bit of a fall. Though Dumbledore says that he had to hex him, mm-hmm. too, as part of the process to make it convincing. But yeah. Kingsley clearly wasn't defending against it for this particular moment. Um, but a wonderful series of moments there. Ending with Dumbledore, of course, doing the most Dumbledore thing possible of now he's displayed his power. He's revealed himself to the world. He's acted gleeful to be the actor on stage. And now he's going to offer an incredibly dramatically vague description of purpose to Harry to motivate him going <laughs> forward. It's like, dude, you, you, I know you don't have much time, but four more words could have told us the plot. You could have. It's like, you will know at some point in the future. No, 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 no. You're exiting stage left literally right now. I need you to actually tell me what's going on because I can't contact you now. I we came Dumb- up with um, Dumbledore ex machina last chapter, mm-hmm. and now we've yes. got exit stage Fox. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. I mean, he really it, foxed it, it, off. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Uh, it, it's a credit to that exit that if, if you've reached a stage now, of where we've got our jury pool, we've got all the prior headmasters. I would love if there's actually twelve of them, but I don't remember how many there are. Uh, but uh, if you've reached a point of where any even Fe- even Phineas Nigellus is now on your side mm-hmm. and is complimenting your swag, you've won the room, sir. There's, it's like 
Dumbledore, you're in criminal defense. You only need one to agree with you. You didn't need to get all of them now <laughs> on your on your side for this, but kudos, you did it well. Uh, but now leaving that behind, uh, I think we move on to other segments, do we not? I think so. The last the last thing I want to say about um, the in the sort of newbies notes, I just want to make sure that we appreciate what a real one McGonagall is here. Because she, she was one to throw down. Immediately push the students to the. Her only thought is, "Let me protect the students." I mean, my God. Well, even even more than that, a she was always having Dumbledore's back during the meeting sure. and doing mm-hmm. so in a way yep. that was just felt like subtly calling out weaknesses in testimony, whatever else. Then when it was about to come to a fight, she's pulling her guns like mm-hmm. ride or die, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Dumbledore has to tell her, "No, you you need to stay here. We're yeah. not chill." And, so and then what? Accepting that instruction, she then goes to the focused teacher role, knocks the students yes. to the ground, makes sure they're okay, and sends them to bed probably with tea and cookies. Yep. I think it's interesting that no one knows how powerful Dumbledore is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we've sort of joked about it, I think, as as a, you know, maybe J.K. Rowling doesn't know how powerful he is because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, a plot mechanism. But it's interesting to see that it's true in real life. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is another time that, you know, I'm going to put up the, um, maybe not equal, but opposite. Uh, Dumbledore is in many ways the opposite of Voldemort in that he's incredibly powerful, but we really don't know how powerful he is. And mm-hmm. we get this sort of instance of, this was a casual thing that, you know, looking at Dumbledore's character, he would have done something to protect the students if he thought it was necessary. And he knows it's not necessary because mm-hmm. he knows he is so powerful that he can just quell anything that happens with, you know, the flick of a wrist. And, you know, there if this was a different book, something would go wrong with that. And, you mm-hmm. know, he sort of would be hoisted by his own petard. But it isn't. It, 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 it's an interesting degree of perspective on the character that I haven't really pondered before of where he is reaching a level of power of where... We almost can't assume him to have more interactions or connections with the characters because perhaps he's even starting to lose that. We're reaching that level of almost godlike power of where can this man remain grounded enough with humanity to talk with Harry about how his Oculomancy class was? He has never been grounded. (laughs) He can only issue decrees because he's lost the ability to react at a more human level. Yeah. Um, And you are getting me a little worried that we will literally have the if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine (laughs) it's like things i don't literally expect him to die but this is almost like the metaphorical moment of where he's lost his role he's lost his role of the protector now Mm. he's been exiting the story in that regard but you know he's the obi-wan it's this role he's the old mentor he's the old guy that inspires the hero and gives him the sword that's his role in the story even if he has a less you know directly active involvement on it it it's a trope for a reason and we're you know I think in some ways this is his thematic death, as it were, his exit to the story, his inspiration for the character, you know, the hero to keep moving. Now that he's lost his title, he's lost his headmaster, he's the villain, and it's left to our character to now carry the torch in public because the prior mentor and hero has now been forced out by the villains. All right, Joey Campbell. Again, the man (laughs) overstated what actual philosophy, what actual mythology set around the world was. But he wasn't wrong about particularly a Western perspective on it and common thematic tropes. The fact that it's become so popular says he did tap into a bit of a cultural touchstone there, among other things. But, you know, 
Let's move on to segments. So, uh, so for, I feel like for our listeners, I, I have to say that we are referencing Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. If you know, you as, know. As a common Western trope. And the, the, the umbrage that, that Spencer took at being uh, accused of such things was, was much appreciated. But it's like, I don't mind the trope at all. I admire the fact <laughs> it was written out. I don't mind that it's been copied. It's, it is an effective trope. It's one of the things where it's just become such a loaded comparison now. Yeah, and but. I don't think for terribly, you know, for terrible reasons. But I, I, I feel like no. you know, it, it is something that if if you are, if you consume stories like this, it is something that you should know about because it's yes. an interesting yes. thing to uh, look at sto- like good stories that you enjoy in this realm and see how it maps out to that. Yeah, Tr- tropes are not bad, but you should know the tropes. Yes, it's an important part of understanding literature and your experience of media. Are we ready winners to talk and winners and losers? Winner, winners and losers. Uh, Sarah, please tell us. Is, is there anybody else that is possibly the winner of this chapter? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Dumbledore, a thousand percent wins epic. this chapter. Yeah. Um, and directly related to that, I think we have to choose either. So I think there are two options. I think we have to either choose Fudge or Umbridge as the loser of this chapter. And I actually think it might be Umbridge. I, I'm, I'm, I'm preferring Umbridge because... Fudge is just swooping into the 11th hour. In some ways, he got what he wanted. Dumbledore is the villain. He's able to yep. cast him in that role. Yeah, yep. he actually did. I mean, Harry's incident sucks that he, he sort of lost him at the end of the chapter, but he's got the figure out there as um, as someone he can continue to feed stories to the Daily Prophet to about what a hostile Indication. takeover he's trying to, to enact, um, how he's sort of taken over at Hogwarts and is is raising a new army against the ministry and against sort of wizard kind like it's, yeah, it's it actually worked out pretty well for him I mean yeah, do it, you think that there is going to be an editorial in the Daily Prophet um about what happened and do you think it's going to be uh by Weatherby or his nom de plume Percy Weasley <laughs> I don't think that Percy's going to put his name to it because Percy is not currently that guy. He might want to be that guy. Yeah. Uh, but he might, not that guy. The, he, not that he, guy. I think he would be a, uh, a a trusted source that was present at the the time being interviewed. Uh, an yes. unnamed trusted yes. source. Mm. Per- mm. Percy is the ultimate unnamed source. <laughs> Exactly. Sources close to the minister. Named, but. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Trusted advisors. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, but, I, but Umbridge, I think, ends up being the, the loser because she lost the chance. She, she lost her witness. She lost her argument. She lost the chance to essentially expel, expel Harry. Um, she was shown up in front of Fudge. Mm-hmm. Like, I, all of this is really coming down on her. I mean, it's one of the things about Fudge's main target is Dumbledore. He effectively got Dumbledore this chapter. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore escaped. In some ways, that's better for him. It's almost better that he's out there in the world just to get, so he can continue talking about him. Umbridge's target wasn't Dumbledore, maybe indirectly or maybe eventually to work up to him. Her target was Harry, and she lost Harry entirely. Entirely, yep. yeah. Yeah, there might be some detentions coming, um, but beyond <laughs> that, like... The only crime she caught him with was being out after hours. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um... I do want to put forth one more name for winner of the chapter. Please. But I, but Dumbledore has to have won it. And that's Hermione. Well, yes. Mm. 
Yeah, um, she's becoming the boogeyman of the story for the student body. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, this is one of those like there there are many conversations um, all over the internet about it, but the viciousness with which Hermione enacts revenge. We are getting Rita Skeeter, Be- Beetle Rita Skeeter, and this sort of hex that no one seems to be able to cure. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Is In the same book. Fascinating. Like, they're mean. They're mean. Fascinating that, like, a whole bunch of professors can't undo this hex, or at least Umbridge, who we have no idea whether she's a functional uh, wizard. Un- yeah, unclear. Oh my god, if... Umbridge was a squib. That would be like the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And basically just gets through wizarding by bullying people. Has she done any magic yet? I don't think we've seen any magic. I We've seen her use, ma- like we've seen her use we, something that artifacts. was magical. Yeah. But like, um, this is, this is something that I'm going to be very disappointed when there's obviously on page magic, but I feel like that would be such a a good backstory for her that mm-hmm. she's actually a squib that refuses to accept it. Mm. I, and at, is therefore sort of self-hating and against all squibs or, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And, but, but super against tracks. Harry and Hermione because, you know, they shouldn't be as, as good and powerful as they are. Um, aligns herself with the, the pure bloods and, you know, who should be able to practice magic and how they should be able to do it. I mean, I don't know. I, I want to see. I, I want it to. I want it to be a through line that I can be like, yes, this is something that could have possibly happened. TBD. It won't be, but that's okay. Th- thread on a wall. Uh, questions. Is there any rhyme or reason in particular for why a Patronus appears the way it does for a particular person? Um. Yes. Her- Harry's seems yeah. relevant. Yeah. Um. There is, and I think that. What we see with the student Patronuses here is that we have a lot of students who don't necessarily have the, like, real defining moments that someone like Harry has had. And so they end up being kind of just vague reflections of their personality. Mm. Um, But Mm. not not necessarily as, like, determined as uh, as Harry's is. Spencer, what do you think Neville's Patronus is going to be? Hmm. It's a very good question. That is interesting to ponder. My, my first res- my first response was almost like you know an, an image of his trauma in some way or in some shape or form. But I, I I I'm kind of inclined for it to ultimately be something more traditionally heroic. I want it to be a phoenix. Yeah, I, I want it, or even just like straight up a symbol of House Gryffindor kind of thing, like you yeah. know some pro- proper yeah, yeah. heroic banner. Yeah, I, I think that would in some ways be more appropriate for our, the kind of role we've already got. Ca- yeah, we talked about hero's journey. I've been continually casting Neville as being like the ultimate hero of the story in that kind of shape or form that he's going to be the one that actually has the arc and rises to the occasion. If he's the one that actually summons the Gryffindor kind of thing as his Patronus, <laughs> you want you want to see me just hopping around the room screaming? That'll be that moment. Uh, I mean, we do have a, a magical sword for the hero to wield. Oh. <laughs> he literally takes up the sword. If he literally carries the you know heroic item, yeah, I'll be here for it. Do you think he has to wear the hat? Well, the sword and cat? Yeah, yeah of course. I, I mean, it, so it's required. You know, it unlocks the sword. The best scene that we will never get is the sorting hat singing a war song on Neville's head as he wields the Gryffindor sword oh, and man. summons whatever Patronus it is. And, and that that's like, that would be, that would tie everything together in the perfect bow. 
Yeah, if we do, if 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 Neville wielding the sword with his Griffin, Griffin Patronus right there next to him has the hat on, which is warbling "Ride of the Valkyries," <laughs> my life is complete. There's no farther I can go from that. So thank I you. I can for that neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay. Uh, BJ got one or two more. You got any questions this chapter? Um, I don't have any serious ones. I, this is. My questions that I like to ask are not where plot happens, because asking plot questions is not where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, I don't really have, have a whole lot. Okay. Well, one other one for me is uh, conflicting instructions and house elves, of where mm. Harry essentially gives Dobby an instruction which is directly counter to all prior established instructions, both immediate and more general established. We've seen how hard enough it is for house elves to deal with their own will versus their instructions. Mm -hmm. How do they square instructions that are intentionally contrary to each other? Well, before before Sarah gets into this, because I feel like we have a very weird case with Dobby. Yeah, because Dobby's first. That was my answer. Yes. yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think we we have seen it otherwise, and it's basically internal physical conflict, Um, Mm -hmm. and. (laughs) line fault in a computer code yeah i mean something like that because i think we sort of got something like that early on with dobby while he was still um do we want to say employed i i I don't know where we want to go with this but in in residence in in servitude (laughs) um in um the malfoy household because Mm -hmm. he did sort of get conflicting things from lucius uh towards the end and before he was sort of freed and it, yeah, sent him up in a tizzy. Um, I think we also got that a little bit with, with Winky. Yeah. Um, especially, well. yeah, especially True, because you had, like, multiple members of the family with Barty Crouch and Barty Crouch Jr. And, we, you know, she's technically in service to the family, not a particular wizard. Uh, so it gets it gets a little sticky. And then we also get the evidence from, from Dobby. And even Creature. And Creature about how powerful finding the loopholes in the language of the instructions actually is. Um, But I think to your original question, to BJ's point, like now Dobby is an interesting exception because he is free, but he still bears all of the trauma, trauma, all of the the internal muscle memory of following these instructions. And he is technically now employed by by Hogwarts, which is, I think, why why he was feeling the need to follow these instructions in the first place. But he's free. He likes Harry more than he likes anyone else. Harry is the one who freed him. So I think it was really smart and also just, like, kind of Harry to give him these specific instructions about not hurting mm-hmm. himself, not telling anyone, do lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and to this conversation, my last point on this, to this conversation we were having about Hermione not understanding the house elves, even in her wish to help them, Harry understands the house elves. He does. He actually spent time with them. Yes. Um, and so he, even in the midst of all of this other chaos, he knows to do that for Dobby, which mm-hmm. Hermione never would have thought of. He, he takes the time to do that for yes. Dobby. He didn't need to do any of that. Yeah. But, you know. Harry, whatever else, the man cares. Never thought I'd say those words, but, you know, on this he, he does. does. He actually was very what? thoughtful in this moment, as much as we have talked about his thoughtlessness. Maybe it what? just depends on whether we're getting a real sense of... Well, no, I think we're getting a real sense of who he cares about. Hmm. 
my circle, everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it, 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 it is, it's a fun thing to kind of ponder with respect to that, because taken to its zenith, Harry's words are very unlocking. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. if you want a final phrase to, you know, unshackle a house elf, Harry just gave him free reign with respect to these instructions to be his own person and, you know, enforce them as he will. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I'm, I'm scared and I love it in terms yeah. of what that will mean. So we have an underground army that... The house elves? The Hogwarts house elves. Uh, I mean, it... They're it, significantly magically powerful. They're, no, they're in knowledge about anything. They are legion. It is a hell of a force to bring to bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if that would, it, that would be the perfect last act of Dumbledore. <laughs> Unleashing the house elves. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That would be so in keeping with, that'd be in keeping not only with Dumbledore, but everyone's fears about Dumbledore's, but my God, he's empowered the non-humans. Every, like, every, yeah, everybody's fears about everything, so. He's, he's the John Brown of this story, bringing about a slave revolt on the, on the, on, on the school. Let, the uh, let's. Hogwarts house elves. Yeah, let's slip, mm. let's slip the house elves of Hogwarts. <laughs> Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Quite uh, the same it, way, but work we'll work out. on it. We'll workshop it. Uh. I think I don't, I don't have any other questions. So we move on to my other favorite segment. Uh, yes. So if you have something like the book, it's going to be a thing. What? The, I, the picture? I, I don't know. So if you have the book, it's going to be, I, no, it, well, even if you don't have the book, it's going to be a I, thing when this is revealed. Got it on my phone. So that's chapter 28, Snape's worst memory. Uh, okay. And we have the pensive, so... And he's ga- and Harry is gazing in with no small amount of fascination. Oh, dear Christ, can we record this now? I'll read it live. <laughs> I want to know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know how it's displayed on your phone, because uh, the first page is wild. Anyway, uh, on that uh, note... there's a Yeah, there's a lot going on on the first page. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah, get it, too. You, okay. you got it. Um, uh, which does oh. answer a question from two... Uh, our last recording, I think. Yes. Um, so I feel like, I don't know, I should spoil it. We, we do have a signed from Cornelius Fudge. Well, and uh, this was, yeah, it's just unclear if other ministers or the Wizengamot or something had to also sign off on this. Fudge right. is the one signing the decrees. Yeah. Is, is his middle name Donald or Oswald? Oswald. I Oswald. Think. Okay. And yes, it kind of gets smooshed in there in my copy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, you I mean, not to bury the lead, Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor, has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardy. They, they get, we, talk, we talked about just, you know, proper, pro, proper presentation. Kudos, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> that, that, that chapter title, that image, and that decree being the only things in the first page is one hell of a sell. Yep. Keep reading. <laughs> uh, you do remind me of uh, a word mistake that I made that was very much appreciated by my parents when I made it uh, when we were learning cursive in, I don't know, like very young because mm-hmm. that stopped being as much of a thing. At some point I called it cursed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. My, my dad acknowledges it's a pseudoscience but loves handwriting interpretation. Mm. You have a field day with uh, Fudge's F where all the to- all the lines on it are looking in reverse. Oh, interesting. All hindsight, no foresight. Send him a screenshot. Yeah, can uh, you yeah. can you get his interpretation of this for the podcast for our next recording? Actually, so can you do it? Like, would he be willing and to do 
like the signatures that we have so far and just you know can, a couple of words can, on them i've asked him before but the, the running comment is it, you can't do it with a manufactured script mm. because it's all about the swooshes it's all about the pen marks it's all about the actual process of writing it rather than just copying it sure you can read what the author is clearly intending you to interpret from it sure but yeah. you know that's good enough <laughs> yeah but yeah, I'll, I'll check with them okay um well this has been fun guys yeah very much looking forward to the next chapter, and this was, you know, if it's anything, anything resembling the blast I had with this one, it'll be all the more fun.